0: Welcome to the Maximus Podcast, sponsored by Lalo Tactical. You can find them at www.lalo.com and Meat Locker. You can find them at www.meatlocker.com for the best in steak, chicken, pork, and bacon. Your hosts today are myself, of course, Bobby Maximus, and Joe Cibula. How are you, Joe? I'm doing great, Bobby. Good. Well, let's jump right into this because this is one of those things that – uh we had a really hard time with the outline because we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, and to get this into an hour podcast, I think is going to be fairly difficult. Yeah, well, I'll try to keep you in line today, okay? Good. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I need somebody in my <laughs> life that can do that for me. <laughs> That's my role. Um, on the first podcast, we really, really focused on uh, positive self-talk and overcoming overwhelming odds, I guess, would be the way I would put it in your podcast. uh, Number two, we talked about your transformation and some Mm -hmm. of the things you faced. And one of the things that came up a little bit, but we didn't really address was the concept of self-imposed limitations. And that's something I think that is very, very important in the process of of making yourself a better person. Yeah, absolutely. This uh, This goes deep too. For sure. And it impacts so many areas of somebody's life. I mean, I think we're all plagued by self-imposed limitations. And I know myself, you guys know a little bit about my background. If you don't, then obviously go listen to episode one of the Maximus podcast. But I was bullied fairly heavily as a kid. Uh, There was never any girls that were interested in me. Uh, I was cut from every sports team that I tried out for. And so by the time I was actually successful in life, and I want to say that was about 17, 18 years old, I had crafted this self-image for myself that didn't include being successful. And no matter what I did, no matter where I went in my life, it could have been In the UFC, fighting for a world kickboxing title, uh, training for the Olympics uh, for wrestling. Uh, I obviously didn't make the Olympic team, but in the training process, I never really believed in myself. Like It was almost like I couldn't imagine myself in those positions. And when I would look in the mirror, I didn't see a 230, 240-pound, muscular, competent, good-looking person. I saw that scared 12-year-old kid that got bullied and rejected.
1: Yeah, and, and that I, I think that's true of a lot of people. I mean, we all go through like an, an awkward stage in high school, right? But I was kind of in the same boat, you know. I was I was uh, uh, at the University of Iowa in Taekwondo. I was fighting at a national level, and I never felt like I even deserved success. Like I was just not even like fit to have my name on the same list with some of the people that I was fighting. And same thing, I would look in the mirror and I didn't see a guy who'd won a state title. I didn't see a guy who had, you know, more wins than losses. I saw kind of an awkward 12-year-old kid who had no idea how he got there.
0: And that can be a real limitation because at least in my sport experience, I never saw myself as a winner. I saw myself as a second placer, a third placer. I was lucky to be on the podium. Um, I was just lucky to be here. And yeah,
1: yeah. Or or even real... just just happy to be second place. Wow, I finished second. That's great. And it was like, that's well, big. there's a big difference between first and second right there.
0: Oh, for sure. And it's a real limitation because if you only see yourself as a second place finisher, you're never going to win. Mm-hmm. And so – a big part of my journey is trying to deal with my own self-imposed limitations, and this is extended beyond myself as a trainer. Helping people deal with their self-imposed limitations is one of the biggest things that I have to do. I've said this. I wrote a whole book on self-imposed limitations pretty much, mm-hmm. but I've said this over and over again. My hardest job as a trainer isn't the work in the gym. It's fixing somebody's mind and, and getting them past their self-imposed limitations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the role of being a trainer puts you in a position where
0: you're you're more likely to see that than they are themselves. Oh, for sure. The other thing is helping people see these things are not easy because they're kind of insidious. I mean, admitting you have self-imposed limitations is difficult, first of all, um, because I think there's some pride involved, mm-hmm. admitting that we are weak, admitting admitting that maybe we need help from a psychiatrist or a psychologist, admitting that we need to see a sports psychologist, uh, admitting that we need a trainer's help is kind of difficult for a lot of people. But the other part is, I find that we settle in a lot of areas in life because of these self-imposed limitations, and we don't realize it until it's too late. It's the kind of thing that, I mean, you said it when we were uh, talking about the outline for today's show. Uh, I think you said it best. It kind of creeps up on you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, just one day you wake up, and it's like, wait, how how did I get here, of all places?
0: What did did I do? Why did I settle for this? Mm -hmm. And so the three areas, as we go through these episodes of the Maximus Podcast, I mean, our goal, Joe and I have a wholehearted goal, genuine goal, of hopefully— giving you something that you can use to make your life better. And so I think today we want to focus on the three areas where self-imposed limitations are the most dangerous. And and we kind of settled earlier on relationships, career and fitness. Yeah. And I think those three areas have kind of come
1: up in each of the podcasts so far. So it's kind of an interesting thread that's pulling all of this together.
0: And really, what else is there? I mean, right. relationships, we're not just talking about love life. We're mm-hmm. talking about Friendships, the relationships with your kids, uh, relationships with your coworkers, which I guess could be put in the career category, but still, it's still a relationship. And so, how do self imposed limitations affect those things? Well, first of all, settling in a bad relationship. I mean, I, I, I'm embarrassed to admit that I've been in bad relationships, more than one of them. I know that you've been in bad relationships. Uh-huh. And I know a lot of people that have settled for a bad relationship. And a lot of that at the root of it, you don't just accidentally find yourself in a bad relationship. It's kind of funny how people take the victim mentality and they talk about, oh, woe is me. My boyfriend is mean. My girlfriend is mean. I married the wrong person. Well, there's some personal responsibility here. You made the choice and you settled. And all, you know, it's funny, like the problems that you're having two or three years into a relationship, there was probably some pretty big red flags there. In month one or month two that you chose to ignore. Mm-hmm. And I always, I always laugh. There's a quote I like to talk about that take the person that's been in bad relationship after bad relationship. And the only thing I want to say to that person is the common link in this chain of dysfunction is you. Right. Like you're, right. you're, the, you're the glue that's holding all of these other people together. Maybe you're the problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think there's, there's a real element of, of just fear. That kind of throttles that whole thing too. you know, fear of success, uh, fear of rejection, of going after, you know, a a different caliber of person. And that's part of why people settle. I mean, really, uh, fear affects every part of this continuum. You know, fear determines who you marry, how much money you make, what kind of job you have. You know, fear determines the house you live in, the car you drive. And if that's if it's dragging you down and you're not dealing with it, then you end up in a position where, guess what? You're being controlled by your own fears.
0: Absolutely. And it's also a fear, I think, of, I mean, how many times have I heard the phrase, and this will get into career a little bit too, but I don't think there's anything better out there for me.
1: Right, right.
0: Like, this if is I the leave best this... I can do, yep. Exactly. And that is setting a huge limitation, being willing to settle. And at the end of the day, you kind of settle for what you think you deserve, yeah. I mean, that's the reality. And this happens with friends as well. Mm-hmm. People will let friends walk all over them. They'll let friends treat them bad. They'll let friends gossip about them. But there is that thought of maybe there's nothing better out there for me. This is all I deserve. Right. And and just how
1: insidious these self-imposed limitations are. If you think about it, you'll have a hard time seeing it through your own eyes. But if you think of one of your friends who's like that, it's very obvious.
0: Very easy to see, but hard to admit to yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And this doesn't just affect us in relationships. It affects us in our career, too. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a mid-level manager or do you see yourself as a CEO? I can guarantee you, as you start to climb the corporate ladder, you start to take on your career, if you only ever see yourself as a mid-level manager, that's all you'll ever be. Mm-hmm. If you you were in the gym industry, uh, ran a gym for a number of years, yep. what was your goal—to run a gym, to open one, to run a successful gym, or to run a hundred successful gyms? I mean, if your goal is to just open a gym, are you ever really going to progress past that?
1: Well, and I think that's actually true of, of a lot of guys these days who are opening gyms because it's it's not difficult to go out and get a a weekend cert, you know, go out and get CrossFit certified. Uh, and then decide, hey, I'm going to open a gym. And that's as far as the thought process ever goes. You know and and there is no vast plan. There is no uh, consideration that it could be a career or that there's more to it than just
0: operating one facility. Well, and the other thing with that is what's the end goal? Do you ever really surpass it? I mean, we had talked about uh, at one time, you and I had a talk about restaurants. And uh, a friend that had opened up a restaurant. And if your goal is to just open one restaurant, you're never really going to progress to a chain. And I remember the talk we had about that. And one of the things that came out of that is sometimes the worst thing you can do is accomplish your goal because then what? Exactly. Yeah. What next? Yeah. yeah, your, Your goal is to win an NBA championship. What do you do after you win? Are you still motivated or have you arrived and are you done and have you hit the top of the mountain versus like a... Kobe Bryant attitude of, I just want to be the best of all time. Mm -hmm. Like, I I just want to, you know, do the very best that I can. Well, and I think
1: it it can be really scary for people to compare themselves to somebody who has achieved that much, you know, like to to say, well, you know, I am just a a part-time, you know, fast food worker. I guess I shouldn't have the mentality of a of a guy who's already achieved all of that, and that's a fallacy because it's the guy's attitude that helped him achieve
0: all of that. So absolutely, where where you're at today is where you need to pick that up. Well, and there's always a quote that this reminds me of, and it's it's about Michael Jordan. I don't know who said this quote, but you don't have to be as skilled as Michael Jordan or as good as basketball as Michael Jordan. Um to practice like him mm-hmm. or to have the same mentality as him or to have the same level of seriousness as him. And it's kind of like, do you only behave like a champion when you're actually a champion or can you adopt a champion's mentality far before you actually win? I mean, those are the people that do well, because if you don't see yourself as a champion, you'll never really get there. Yeah, yeah. So, so why, not, why not start out with that mentality right away? Practice like a champion. Take yourself seriously as a champion would. Hold yourself to a higher standard. Practice harder. You can, you're capable of doing all these things, and it's funny. All you have to do is flip a mental switch. None of these things require a victory right. or a trophy or a gold medal to put
1: into place. Well, I think, too, like, think about a guy like Michael Jordan. Everybody sees a guy who is, you know, insanely successful, is one of the the best, if not the best basketball player of all time. And they forget that he had a lot of struggles and a lot of failures. He tried a lot of things that didn't work out. But what kept him going, right, was that attitude, that
0: championship attitude that he adopted before he began to fail. And it wasn't enough. He wasn't just going to play in the NBA. Right. He wasn't just going to win a game he wasn't just going to win one championship. He wanted to see how good he could really be. And to be honest with you, if I look at my UFC career, this was a problem with me. You know what my goal was, Joe? To just fight in the UFC. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That was as far as I believed I could go. So it was really hard for me, A, to win a fight in the UFC. But B, when I did win a fight in the UFC, flipping that switch and and trying to get past my own self-imposed limitations of, wow, what am I doing here? I've actually won a fight. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe I have potential. Maybe I that was a really difficult moment in my career when I won my UFC, my first UFC fight, because I, I didn't know what to do from there because I'd had these self-imposed limitations. Yeah, that's interesting.
1: I had, a, a, I guess, a similar experience at my first national championship as a taekwondo fighter. And I was just kind of looking through the room. There were three kinds of people there. There were people who were there to win. There were people who were just happy to be there. And then there were people who I had no idea who let them in. Uh-huh. You know? And and the, the goal was, in my mind, like, I was just happy to be there. And I had a hard time envisioning myself standing in the ring with the guys who were there to win. Mm -hmm. And that was when I decided, you know, I I need to take like I need to go further. I need to think differently about myself as a fighter and as an athlete and what I can accomplish. And that's when I really began flirting with the idea of kind of making a run for it and trying to to qualify for a national
0: team and get on the Olympic team. So it sounds like a big part of your progress was not just the fighting in the in the I want to say a ring, but it's not really in a ring. You're on a that mm-hmm. it, it wasn't just the kicking and punching and practice. It was also learning how to picture yourself, like learning how to look at yourself in a different light so you could be successful.
1: Yeah, I mean, 100 percent, because otherwise it was just what we said earlier. I was just happy to get a second place. You know, I'd go to a tournament and I'd fight my heart out and I'd get second place. And I was just thrilled with it instead of being pissed that I didn't win. And that that was the difference between me on the second place spot on the podium and me winning gold. Sure. I needed I needed that that different switch to flip. It was like the, the difference between the guy who won and me, I was the better fighter. You know what I mean? Like I knew that standing there, I could beat this guy, but why didn't I? And it was simply because I never envisioned myself being the champion. I was just happy to be there. And there, I mean, really, that's not a bad thing. You should be happy to be there, but you should also be there to win. You should also
0: be willing to to, to bet on yourself and view yourself as a winner that's one of right. the most important things and i've seen this kind of attitude i mean obviously we did sports at a high level and so this may not relate to many people but one area that i think is really relatable to people is the gym yeah and think about when you've been in the gym and you spot somebody and they get under a bench press and they say i'm gonna go for three reps do they ever really get four or five or six yeah, no. no, because they get three and they're done. Yep. And what happens is the first one easy is easy. The second one's kind of hard and they flame out on the third one because they'd already set that limit. I'm going to do three. When have you ever seen somebody lay down in a bench and just say, I'm just going to do my best. I'm going to go for as many as possible. Mm-hmm. A much better attitude than putting that number out there because once you put that number out there, you set a limit. I see it with weight loss where people say, I'm going to lose five pounds. They actually probably need to lose 20 or 25. But why five pounds? And when you get to five pounds, do you give up? Have you achieved your goal? Do you all of a sudden flip the switch and then melt the other 20 off? Yeah, yeah. Like, but you've set yourself a limit and that's as good as you are going
1: to do. And we talked earlier too about just how many pushups can you do? And it's always an even number. Oh, I can do 10. Oh, I can do 20. Oh, I can do 40 pushups. It's never 41 and a half, you know? Yeah. It's never uh, – well, I did 13 and three quarters and then I just flamed out. My
0: real question is where do these numbers come from? Mm-hmm. Like when you when you come up with a fitness goal, did you just pull it out of a hat? Did you get it from one of your friends? Did you get it off Instagram or social media? Did you read it in a, in a, in a copy of my book, Maximus Body? Were you following Joe on Instagram and decided to do what he does? I mean I think people kind of throw out numbers and limits without even – realizing
1: what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 99% of the time, the number that they're choosing, they're choosing too humbly. They're not going far enough. Oh yeah. It's
0: rare. It's rare. I have to back somebody off. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. (laughs) Most people, really underestimate their ability. I don't get many people that walk in my gym and I ask them what their goals are and they say they want to deadlift a thousand pounds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a guy that says, I want to deadlift 200 pounds. Yeah, yeah. Or, a or, a you know, a woman that wants to deadlift her body weight. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would do actually, Joe. I'm, I'm trying to think <laughs> of an example where somebody's come in the gym and had a goal that I thought was just, just fucking crazy like i want to run a 350 mile well here here here's an example
1: i used to get this a lot i'd have some you know 19 year old kid walk into my crossfit gym and say i want to go to the games this year awesome like great have you been training well no i've never done
0: this before god bless them for not having that limitation set yeah, up. Yeah. I mean, you know, we can make fun of it and stuff. But if you come in with that attitude, you'll make it a lot further than the person that says, I just want to finish a workout. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You've got to have that idea in your head. And a lot of the people that I've seen be the most successful in life are the people that from day one, they set a very, very high bar for themselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they never like settle. Eight. So, so if they do find that they set a goal and they reached it, they just set a new goal. They keep pushing it out further. They're on to the next thing. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's one of my favorite phrases. Like, great. What's next? And then I used yep. to say that to, to folks at, at my gym all the time. You know, they just set a big PR. They've been training for their deadlift. They put, you know, 50 pound PR on their deadlift. Aren't you proud of me, coach? Great. What's next? Yep.
0: Where do you go from here? And so, When we talk about these self-imposed limitations, it's pretty obvious they affect us in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And I'd like everyone at home who's listening to this to start examining your life. Start thinking about places you may have been a self-limiter. Maybe it is your relationship. Maybe you have settled. Maybe it's time to move on from, you know, your your romantic relationship. Or maybe there's some friends you need to leave behind because they're dragging you down. Maybe you've settled in that, in that regard, maybe it's your fitness. Are you really as fit as you think you could be? What are you really capable of? Maybe it's your career. Have you settled into a role that frankly you're too good for, you know? Yeah. And I think, uh, I I think it's important that people kind of
1: understand like how to begin that process because it is so hard to see yourself doing it. And the first thing that we have to talk about is, again, aggressively cutting the negative voices out so that you can start to see things more clearly. And And that's a huge... You know, we, we say this all the time, but you become who you hang around. And so are you hanging around a bunch of people that are holding you back or a bunch of people that are pushing you forward? And that's a great place to start because if you fix
0: that one problem you're going to start seeing yourself in a different light. Well, and that's a huge one because this is one of the primary sources that self-imposed limitations come from. I've been through it myself. Mm -hmm. When I, in 2007, I was a very good police officer in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I had a great career ahead of me. I was on the fast track to promotion. And when I decided to leave the job and move to the United States, there was a very long list of people who told me, What a terrible mistake I was making, Mm -hmm. that I was giving up on a sure thing. What about your pension? And they didn't even bring up questions. There were people who flat out told me, don't worry when you fail, you can come back here and work. Well,
1: how reassuring.
0: What do you mean mean when I fail? Like, so you're so sure I'm going to fail. And I have talked to numerous people who tell me a similar story. I mean, yeah. the, the last person I talked to about this, there was a woman who was at my gym and she had voiced to her friends how she wanted to lose weight and Rather than be supportive, and this is where I say you need to get some better friends, but rather than be supportive, they said, well, Sally tried to lose weight and she couldn't. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really, really difficult. And I tried to lose weight and I put it back on. So you're wasting your time. Mm-hmm. Why, would you, why would you pay somebody $200 a month to train you? Like what a waste of money. Why don't you put that money away for your future? And all this woman heard – was negative voices about how she was going to fail. Because that's what people love to do. I call them dream smashers. Yeah. is like my affectionate term for them. Yeah. But because they didn't follow their dream, because they didn't put the work in, now they're bitter at the world. And so they assume everyone else is going to fail too. Because they can't just look in the mirror and admit that it was their own fault. Well, right. And, and seeing somebody else be successful diminishes
1: what they've done and, and it, it kind of rubs it in their face that they gave up and so they don't want to see somebody else
0: succeed. Well, let me ask you a question. When you opened up a gym, mm-hmm. were you surrounded with voices of people who said this is going to be awesome, good for you for following your passion or did you hear, do you know how many gyms shut down? <laughs> gyms don't make money. This isn't a real job. This isn't a real career. I mean I've been dealing with this my entire life of people telling me that I can't do shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, 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 and to be honest, I actually, I, I had, the the people that I really cared to listen to were all very supportive of me because I left a, a good paying job to do it. But it was pretty obvious that, that it's what I needed to be doing at the time. And so anybody who was a naysayer, I had, I just didn't have any time for them. Well,
0: it's really difficult and it's hard to silence those voices, especially when it comes from people who you think, Really care about you? Yeah, yeah. Again, it the, sneaks up on you. The other hard part about that is some of them don't even realize how negative they're being. Like they really believe they have your best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll tell you a story about my wife. It's kind of funny. She, um, when she moved from Detroit to come to Utah to live with me, she heard it from a lot of people. Well, when your relationship fails, you can always come home. Oh man. What the fuck does that mean? I mean, <laughs> she will she will tell you I pretty much hate her hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my backup for a while about comments like that, but what are you doing? You're making a huge mistake. What if this doesn't work out? When again, when this fails, you can always come home. You know, she heard a lot of this stuff and it made it difficult for her to really uh, assimilate into a life into Utah, but it's funny because now if you ask her, she would tell everybody it's the best decision she ever made, and she's happy. And it still persists. Some of the people back home have been supportive, but some of them, rather than be happy for her and see that it's worked out, they mm-hmm. still have to say negative things.
1: Yeah, because they'll, they well, they'll, have they'll never, yeah, they'll never admit put her down. Yeah, never admit
0: that that what she did was the right choice the right choice. And a lot of these people, they are just bitter and upset because they're miserable in their own lives. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. And the reason I can speak to that is because I've been through it myself. Yeah. Almost every person who's told me that I'm going to fail, that I'm never going to amount to anything, that I'm making a mistake in what I'm doing. You really look at them and they're unhappy people. Mm-hmm. Whereas the good people in my life said, go for it. We are here to support you 100%. Follow your dreams. If you have people like this, get rid of them. I want to talk about a story from my book, a uh, girl named Danielle. I wanted to run a marathon, wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And so she came to me, hired me to write her a program, and we started writing her a program. And you know, Joe, writing a program for running is pretty easy. right? If you If you run 20 miles at a seven-minute mile pace, it's pretty easy to predict what somebody's finish time for a marathon is going to be. I mean, the training is the sport to a degree. It's not like a basketball game where the other team can really stick it to you or has a better game plan. If you prepare for a marathon the right way, you can predict how somebody's going to do. And every training session she did, she got faster and faster. And every piece of feedback I got was that she was going to do a sub three hour marathon Mm -hmm. and really surpass her goal. So all of a sudden, one day, almost overnight, her runtime slowed dramatically. I had no clue what was going on. This problem persisted for weeks. And I kept asking her what's going on. Like, like did you go through a bad breakup with your boyfriend? Uh, is there something hormonal going on? Mm-hmm. Do you have an injury? Are you overtrained? And we couldn't get to the bottom of it till one day she told me she had voiced her goal to her coworkers. She worked as a teacher. And everyone in the staff room started bombarding her you with, you'll never qualify for Boston. Jane tried to run a marathon and she couldn't finish. And Dave tried to run a marathon in 315 and he hurt his leg and got injured. And it's so fast and you should aim just to finish this thing. You'll never qualify. And she started to believe it. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it started to affect her performance. I mean, she went from really fast to really slow. And I didn't really know how to deal with it. So I suggested to her that she started to hang out with real runners, like go to a runner's group, not a social group on a Saturday where moms and dads are looking to meet friends in the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Go to go to a group where people really, really run. So she found a running group. And on her first day, she was running with a girl and they were talking. She kind of just forgot about how fast they were going. And she told the girl how she was trying to qualify for Boston, but it was never going to happen because she was too slow. And the girl said to her, well, you're running at a pace right now that will qualify for you for Boston. And why? <laughs> and having a conversation. Yeah. Why don't you think you can qualify? And, and she went over what all the teachers said. And, and, you know, I wish I could meet this person who, who told Danielle this, but she says, who are you listening to? And Danielle said her teacher friends and this other girl said basically a bunch of losers who train four hours a week. (laughs) That's who you're listening to. That's who's telling you you're not going to qualify for Boston. Danielle, how much do you train? And Danielle's like 12 to 16 hours a week. And this girl said 12 to 16 hours a week. You should be aiming for a sub three. Never mind Boston. You're insane. Like (laughs) shut these people up. Like, don't let somebody who's only willing to run four hours a week determine your goal or your limitation for you. So sure enough, Danielle started hanging out with the right people, adjusted her self-imposed limitation, and she ran her sub three and qualified for Boston. I mean, it was that easy. Yeah, that's that mental switch. It's just, you know, it's
1: not like she got faster all of a sudden, you know, it's just she just believed that she could do it and bam, she
0: did it. But that's a good point of who are you listening to? Mm-hmm. Who's giving you advice? Someone who failed? Like you want to make the NBA. Is it Michael Jordan giving you advice? Or is it uh, one of my favorite NBA players, Ronnie Price, good friend of mine that brings at the gym, had to drop his name, Ronnie, we love you. But is it Ronnie giving you advice or is it some guy that got cut from his grade 10 high school team and is angry at the world and now is telling you you're going to fail? Yeah, yeah. And that happens way too long. Mm-hmm.
1: So, and, and, it, and it's hard to, to recognize that because you're, you, people come to you with advice and you're kind of like open to it because you're really you're, – you're trying you know, and you believe it uh, and, and you believe that they're coming from a place of care and compassion and really they're just setting a limit for you. They're just turning your governor on
0: and saying this is as far as you go and no further. This is what you're going to do. Yep. So the, the first thing we want you to do is get rid of negative people. Get rid of toxic people. And listen, people have a hard time with this because I think a lot of us deep down have good hearts. But these people really affect you in a negative way. If people are affecting you in a negative way, you need to protect yourself first. I mean, there's that old phrase, you can't be good for anybody else if you're not good for yourself. So pay yourself first. Number two, after you aggressively eliminate negative people or at the same time as you're doing this, ideally, you have to change your internal dialogue. Uh, you've got to change your narrative or change how you look at your story. And the example we came up with, Joe, was the push-up example.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When you go to do a max push-up test, do you talk to yourself before and say you're going to do 5, 10, 15, 20, even numbers? As you, you, know, you said, it's always some yeah. round little nice number. Or do you start to frame the narrative with, I'm going to do as many as humanly possible? All the push-ups. All the push-ups. I mean, that's a joke that I use regularly. Mm -hmm. Hey, Rob, how many many pull-ups are you going to do today? All of them. Yep. I don't try to put a number on it because when I hit that number, workout's over. Yeah. I'm not immune to that. If I say I'm going to do 50, I might do 50. Might do 51 because then I could really pat myself on the back.
1: Yeah, yeah. I did more, more than what was expected of me. More than the minimum, so I'm extra fit today. But even though, also, even, we, even though you were capable of 72 and a half, you only did yes, 51.
0: It's also really funny how that works, Joe. When I go into a workout, if I tell myself I'm going to do, we'll, say, we'll call it 100 pull-ups. Mm-hmm. At 70, I start getting tired. Right. At 80, I kind of want to quit. At 95, I start feeling I'm almost done. I can tough this out. And at 100, I leave the gym. So I was, I was pretty tired at 70 and worried. If I tell myself before I go into the gym that I'm going to do 200, I'm not tired at 70. I don't get tired till 180. Right, right. And there's no difference except how I framed that going in. Yeah. Which to me is interesting because I think this can apply to a lot of areas of your life, whether it be business meetings, relationships, uh, career goals, just framing that narrative differently going into a situation.
1: Well, and I think you, you have to have kind of the positive self-talk going on too. So like going back to the very first podcast, we were talking about green light thoughts and writing down five reasons why you're going to be successful every day. If you are honest to God doing that, it's going to be a lot easier to reframe that narrative later. And if you're not doing that, start doing it.
0: No, and I'd like to bring up your uh, your transformation as well. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I really noted, and I don't know if you even realized it, when we went through that three-month transformation, you never had a goal weight. No. I never heard you voice that I want to get down to 198 or 202. You never had a body fat percentage. You said for the next three months, I'm going to improve as much as as humanly possible. Yeah, and, and I so, did. Yeah, and you kept seeing success the whole way because you didn't just hit a number and then shut down. I mean, I wonder how it would have been different if you would have said, I'm just gonna get down to 210. Mm-hmm. You probably would have hit that and then you would have started slowing your progress. But I, what I saw was different. In a month, you actually started to work harder and throttled down a bit. And then the second month, you worked even harder. In the third month, you worked harder than I've ever seen you work. Yeah, yeah. But it was because you had this idea of, let's see what a man can do in three months. Not, I'm going to lose six pounds. I'm going to lose eight pounds. You had a very open-ended goal. And and I think framing that narrative that way, that really helped you. Yeah, 100%. And I really like that phrase. Like, let's see what a man
1: can do. And I think I'm going to use that. You know, if somebody says, how many push ups can you do? Well, let's see what a man can do. Yeah, let's see. And And Just because we're not sexist pigs, let's see what a woman can do. A man as in like humanity, you know. Exactly. (laughs) Um,
0: I just want to make that clear. It's it's 2019. Um, We embrace everyone. With all this, this, we'll probably do a podcast uh, on this at some point. But with all this toxic masculinity talk, (laughs) I just want to make sure that we're not included in that kind of stuff. But I actually do this stuff with my son. You know, if my son says, hey, do you think we can climb this mountain? Well, I don't say no. I mean, there's a huge, there's a huge trail here called Mount Olympus, um, that a lot of people strive to complete. And he says, do you think we can get to the top of that? I say, well, let's try it out. Not, no, we can't. Because if I tell him, no, we can't, he's going to believe that he can't. He's asked me before, can I fight in the UFC? Absolutely. You can, you just have to work hard enough. Yeah. Yeah. Why would I tell him? No, you can't. And it's funny the world that he's growing up in you know when you talk about being surrounded by good people uh my son Landon we call him Beanie and you've been around him a lot yeah yeah this kid uh he's he's uh, king spent of trash a lot talk of- king, the king of trash, of trash talk, talk but he spent time with Mike Weir who's a guy that won uh the Masters in golf he spent time with numerous NFL athletes He's spent time with NBA athletes. He's spent time with professional fighters. Uh, he's spent time with people that are some of the leaders of business and industry in this country. He's been exposed to a lot of really successful people. And if you talk to him and you have talked to him, there's not one thing he doesn't think he can do. Right. Like he's got no limits because there's nothing special about these people other than they're my friends. Yeah, yeah. Like he's not a kid who has never met an NFL player and who can't see himself in the NFL. If you ask him, like, do you think you can make the NFL? He will say, well, well, big stew and, 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 and uncle Brian did it. So why can't I? Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, good point. And then you ask him, like, do you think you can make the UFC? He goes, and and I quote, well, my dad sucks so bad. He got contract <laughs> cut from the UFC, but, I can make it because, well, first of all, I'm going to be better than him. And I'm like, holy shit, this kid has got no limit to what he thinks he can do. King of trash talk. (laughs) King of trash talk. But he is on top of this stuff. He just thinks anything's possible. I I, I joke,
1: but like he believes it. I mean, he honestly believes that if he put his mind to it uh, and, and, and he's a kid who fortunately understands the value of hard work. You know, I've, I've seen him when he turns that switch on and he's not afraid to really, really push and to put the effort in. Uh, but he, he honestly believes that if he put his mind to it, he could do
0: anything. He told me the other day, so he wears number 23 in basketball. Mm-hmm. I said, why do you pick number 23? He says, because the goat wears twenty three. <laughs> go. what's the goat? Greatest of all time. Michael Jordan. I go, and you think you're like Michael Jordan? He goes, I'm going to be better than Michael Jordan. I go, oh, all right. All right. So, I mean, even if he gets halfway there, I'm going to be a millionaire when I'm older because this kid's going to get a big contract in the NBA. (laughs) I mean, but he's he's already established that. Oh, no, I'm going to be better. You're going to be better than the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Yes. Okay. good. Good for you. But that's that that's important because that's framing that narrative. Even if he doesn't get there, he's going to get way further than the kid that says, oh, I'm never going to play or I just want to play two minutes this game. Yeah. Yeah. And the third thing I think we really want to talk about here. So you've got you got your internal dialogue uh, in, in framing that narrative. We've talked about aggressively eliminating negative people. But one thing that I really want to talk about is the 10 words that will ruin your life. The 10 worst words in the English language. What will other people say and what will other people think? Because these, I think, are really devastating in terms of how we improve in life, how successful we are, and in setting up these self-imposed limitations. How many times, Joe, have you had a goal? And then immediately thought, oh, what are other people going to think about this? What are people going to say if I fail and then establish a limit? It's probably happened a lot.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I think it's it's almost impossible to set a goal and not have that thought cross your mind, you know, because and again, being like a conscientious person, you're like, well, how, how does what I do affect the people around me? Some element of this is going to creep in. Again, it's insidious, you know, and it's not always a bad thing because sometimes the, the result is is good for everybody. You know, Um, but sometimes it's just it's this hint, this little hint of doubt and and you won't even acknowledge it, but you'll find yourself setting a goal that's way too achievable. It's way too humble because you've had that that hesitation
0: and you're worried about what other people think. This is a this is a topic that's really close to my heart because I remember my first UFC fight. It was UFC 53 USA versus Canada. And I was in the dressing room. And rather than worrying about my game plan, rather than worrying about winning the fight, you know what I was worried about? What people back home were going to say if I lost. Yeah. If my coworkers, when I was a cop, were going to lose respect for me. If my girlfriend was going to dump me. If people were going to talk trash about me on, this is before the days of social media, on forums. Yeah. Like my reputation is at stake. That's not a good attitude to have going into a fight. The other funny thing is, most of the people that I was worried about talking trash, I could murder them with my bare hands. Yeah. Like I was fighting in the UFC. How dare they judge me? Mm-hmm. That's the funny thing. But I was worried what some guy at work, who's never thrown a punch in his life, was going to think of me if I lost a UFC fight. And this comes up, you know, a lot with football, especially at this you know time of the year. When you have these fans that call sports guys bums because they miss a catch. Right, right. Or because they don't throw the ball right or they don't make a field goal.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's a hot one right now. It was on, tipped. On that it point, was tipped.
0: <laughs> so on that note, what's, what's that guy's name? Um, uh, it's, it's eluding me right now. As uh, is is you look that up, I'll, I'll tell the story. So this guy from the Chicago Bears goes to kick a field goal. Turns out it's tipped, Parky. But Cody Parky, Cody Parky, and yeah. he misses the field goal. Not only misses it, bounces is off the upright, bounces off the crossbar, and the Chicago Bears lose the game to the Philadelphia Eagles. And you have all these people that jump on Twitter, jump on Instagram, jump on Facebook, and they all talk about how bad he sucks. How he's hit the uprights before this year, how it's all his fault. So a brewery in Chicago, I don't know if you saw this. I did see this. This they, is brilliant. They set up a field goal just like he had to hit that was supposedly so easy and gave all these fans that were bad-mouthing him a chance to try. A hundred people attempted the kick. How many do you think made it out of those hundred people, Joe? I'm going to guess none. Zero, absolutely zero. Most people that were criticizing this guy couldn't even kick it five yards.
1: (laughs) And I I think I remember seeing something. It was uh, it was snowing, and like four
0: people just didn't even hit the ball. They slipped and fell. Yep. But these are the types of people that that were worried about bad mouthiness. Really, you're worried about what they think. And here's the other funny thing: when we are worried about what other people think. A lot of times that's our own stuff. They don't even care what we're doing. Like, you're so worried about what somebody in the gym thinks about you, and they're not thinking about you at all, Joe. Mm -hmm. Like, you are the furthest. How many push-ups you did or what time you finished Fran in, that is the furthest thing from their mind.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like,
0: you're worried about what they think.
1: And this was huge in my transformation, too, because we've come back to this time and time again. But I was worried about losing strength. Yep. Because I had built up this, this great base of strength, and I didn't want to get weak. And in the end, it was like, nobody really cares what those numbers are. Like, they're not nope. so good. I'm not, I'm not out deadlifting Thor Bjornsson. So aside from
0: that, it doesn't really matter. You're still freakishly strong. Just be okay with that. No. Now, let me ask you a question, because we didn't cover this earlier. Mm-hmm. With your transformation, did you ever fall victim? When we talk about not caring what other people say or not caring what other people think, did you ever fall victim for people trying to sabotage you? Because not they want. could, they couldn't stand that you were no, being
1: successful. It, it became fuel. It became just fuel for the fire. Everybody who said you couldn't just made me go harder.
0: You know, this is, uh, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that, and, and, but also really surprised because one thing that I've seen, and you see it in couples a lot, where you've got a couple who's been together 15 or 20 years and they've let themselves go and both people are all out of shape. Mm-hmm. And I know you've dealt with this because we've talked about it. And all of a sudden, the wife or the husband, one of them decides to get back in shape. Now you would think you want your partner to be at their very best. You would think if you're a guy out there and and, and your wife started working out all the time and eating healthy and really wanted to look her best, that you'd be supportive about this and happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I want my wife to look as good as possible. And I know that she wants to be, you know, wants me to look as good as possible and be happy. But that's not what happens, right? The minute your spouse starts working out all the time, it shines a spotlight on all your shitty behavior. And then you go out together and she or he gets a bunch of compliments and you don't. Yeah, Or you see her or him making progress and you don't. So what do you do? You start to sabotage them and you start to be less supportive and you start to give them grief. And I have heard this so many times. I can't train today because of my husband or because of my wife. I've I've seen it come to divorce.
1: Yeah. Where where some lady'll start at the gym, you know, and she's there every day working her tail off, literally, and gets to a point where it's like I mean, just gorgeous machine. Boy, your husband should be real happy with you, and it's the opposite. Yep. And and he never shows up for any of the events. All he does is badmouth the gym and the
0: people in it. Yep. And eventually that it, it can't work. And that's the world we live in. People hate to see other people successful. I mean, even in news cycles, there's nothing that generates ratings like watching somebody else fall from grace. As a society, we love to watch people suffer. So it becomes a problem. So you have to stop caring what other people think because you know there's a lot of people that are rooting for you to failure, whether they realize it or not. Yeah. So uh, wrapping this up. We would love for everyone to start really looking at your life and examining where you've placed limits on yourself and really be ruthless with this because I think that everyone out there could live a better life. Fitness is the easy one. right? You can be better. You can always improve. But maybe you need to work harder. Maybe you need to get to the gym more. But start examining what limits you placed on yourself and and if they're real limits. Like, you know, you could look at this in terms of the excuse, I guess, uh, word as well. But is saying you don't have enough time, is that a limit you've placed on yourself? Is saying that you don't have equipment, is that a limit you've placed on yourself? Because a lot of times excuses come from self-imposed limitations. Mm-hmm. Examine your relationships. Examine your career. I mean, I, I, I would love people to use this information to get a lot better and and try to be the best people they can be. Yeah, that's, I mean, the goal. That's what it's all about. For sure. Well, this has been great. Yeah, this has been fantastic. So uh, th- th- thank you guys, everybody, for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. We're going to cover a lot of stuff as these episodes go on. Uh, so, so hang tight. And uh, we want to make an offer to people. If you are interested in us discussing a certain topic, we are more than happy to entertain those ideas. So you can go to Instagram uh, at Bobby Maximus and drop me a DM. Or you can go to at Joe J O E underscore Cibula, Cebula C E B U L A and drop him a DM, and you never know we might just talk about your topic. And chances are, if you want to hear it, there's a bunch of other people that want to hear it too. Yeah, don't let don't let yourself impose limitations
1: stop you from reaching out to us.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and I know you, and and I know me. We try to answer every DM we get. Yes, every email we get. And so so reach out. And the final thing today. We'd love to thank our sponsors, uh, Lalo Tactical. Uh, if you want the best in footwear and boots, head over to www.lalo.com. That's L-A-L-O. Use the code MAXIMUS20 for 20% off footwear. We'd also like to thank Meat Locker. Uh, frankly, it's where Joe and I get all our steak, bacon, chicken, chicken, pork so all those delicious steaks you uh, see me post on my instagram on a daily basis that's where i get them uh but you can go to www.meatlocker.com so thank you guys very much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode